When it comes to faith versus works, does the Bible contradict itself? Do Paul and James disagree? Well, these are two questions Chris is going to address today as we wrap up chapter two of our series in James. Here's Chris. Well, hello and good morning. So in about, I don't know, somewhere between two and 10 minutes from now, they're going to fire up these boats on the river and uh, hopefully it won't be too loud for you, but it's going to be really loud for me. So pray that I can concentrate because this is a really good message. Uh, We are in the book of James. And so if you have a Bible, open up to the book of James. Again, I'm going to point you to the word. My opinion can be helpful, but it's not the word of God. And I want you to read the word of God. I want you to underline in the word of God. I want you to take notes in the word of God. And I want you to go back on your own to the word of God, because that's what needs to shape your life, your worldview, and everything else if you want to live the greatest life possible. We are in the book of James. We've been in the book of James. This is our ninth week, and we're going to finish chapter two today. So, um, and this may be one of the, the most difficult parts of James, uh, which makes me very excited because I, I, I hope we walk away with some clarity today on what James is saying. James is a hard-hitting book. It is, um, it is the fundamentals of how to live out the Christian life. And that's really what today is about. James is saying the Christian life is to be lived out, not just an intellectual exercise, but we need to actually live out what we say we believe. And so we we bump into this week, we're going to start in chapter... Chapter 2, verse 14, we bump into one of the great um, controversies or what I would call misunderstanding between Christians that's gone on for 2,000 years, right? Um, As human beings, our tendency is to, to find something we can hold on to, and we'll, we'll swing to extremes. There's like this pendulum, right? And, and, uh, and that's what we see today. And, and the debate that we're running into today is the debate between faith and works. Are we saved by faith, or are we saved by what we do? And James comes out really strong. In fact, James comes out so strong, and the Apostle Paul in Ephesians, Galatians, Romans comes out really strong in what would appear to be another direction. It's like, okay, we've got, it's on between Paul and James. Um, James says this in verse 17, says, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. That's a strong statement. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says what would appear to be the opposite. He says, for it is, gr- it is by grace you have been saved through faith and not from yourselves. It is the gift of God and not by works so that no one can boast. So who's right? So who's right? Um, Does the Bible contradict itself? Do Paul, the Apostle Paul and the Apostle James, do they disagree on this topic? And how do we live this out? Well, the short answer to that question is no, they do not disagree. I think part of what we are so tempted to do, and you see this over and over again, is we will live one verse theology. We'll grab one passage, one little verse, read it out of context and go, I'm going to plant my flag here. But as we dive into what Paul is really saying, what James is really saying, and ultimately what Jesus said, 
we will see that they're actually not disagreeing at all. And so what I want to do over the course of our time together today is I want to unpack this. And my goal is by the end, we'll have some clarity on what this means for our lives and for our faith. What does, it, what does real faith look like? What does it look like to be a Christian? What does it look like to be saved? Sound like a good topic? Yeah. All right, let's roll with it. All right, James chapter 2, verse 14, this is what it says. He starts with a question. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? So the question that James is asking, that he opens up with, that he sets up this whole part of, of this, this chapter with, or this, this part of the chapter with, is if someone claims to be a Christian, but they don't live like a Christian, are they really a Christian? Let me ask, let me say that again. If someone claims to be a Christian, they would say Jesus is Lord, but they don't live like Jesus is Lord. They don't, they don't live like a Christian. Are they really a Christian? Does just believing in God mean you're a Christian? That's the question we open up with. Verse 15, he goes on. He, he unpacks this in a process. Verse 15, he says, Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? What good have your words done for that person? And the answer is what? None. It's done no good for that person. Just words alone do not help solve that brother or sister's problem. We've done no good for them. It's just words. That's what he's saying. And then in verse 17, he says, in the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. So a faith that is just made up of words, that is just made up of intellectual belief, is dead. Uh, okay, I can hear a pin drop. So the same is true with your faith. If your faith is just words, it's not really faith. That's what James is saying. Now, I want to pivot over to the Apostle Paul, because the Apostle Paul, his words feel like he's going in a different direction than James. In Galatians 2.16, he says this, We know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law no one will be justified. Again, it feels like these guys are facing off and we're having a disagreement between these two apostles. But I want you to underline, if you got your Bible out, works of the law. And I want to give you a little bit of context here. Paul is writing to churches. So, well, let me back up from there. Jesus comes and says, I've not come to abolish the law, meaning the Old Testament covenant law between God and the nation of Israel. I've come to fulfill it. 
All right, he fulfilled that by dying on the cross. He was the last sacrifice that was ever necessary for all of mankind. He fulfills the law. And then he says, before he leaves, he says, I'm giving you a new covenant in my blood. And then he gives us a new commandment. Do you remember what that commandment is? Love one another, right? So we, we have this new law that we're under, that we're bound to, the law of love as, as we call it. And we are free from the Old Testament, 613 laws with the nation of Israel, between God and the nation of Israel. Does that make sense? Say yes. All right. So... Paul ends up having this radical transformation with God. He meets God on the road to Damascus. He, he is assigned by God to go out and take this new faith to the non-Jewish people of the world. He is the apostle to the Gentiles. The Gentiles have no hope of fulfilling the 613 laws of the Old Testament, even if they wanted to. Because they haven't been brought up. I mean, the Jews had been brought up since the time they were born in that, and they're not keeping it, right? So, um, but what happened at this, the early part of the church is, is some people got this thing, you know, got, this, got this message that we're free from the law. And it's that pendulum swung over to, okay works don't matter all we have to do is believe the right things right and um and so that's what james is addressing but at the same time so as paul goes into these gentile cities like galatia uh, and ephesus and says look you people who have no concept of judaism you don't have to become jewish in order to follow jesus you don't have to jump through the religious hoops. You don't have to keep all of these laws. You don't have to be circumcised. You're free. And then he leaves. And then some, some Jewish believers who are like, no, 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 no. You got to be Jewish first. So you got to jump through all the hoops. You got to do all this. They come in behind and they're like, you've got to keep all the works of the law. And that's what Paul is writing to. It's the works of the law. That's the context. So when he talks of works of the law, he's talking about religion. He's talking about the Old, Old Testament religious rules and rituals that apply to the covenant between God and Israel. He's not setting us free from the moral law, just to be clear. Like, Thou shalt not murder, that still applies. So let's just be clear about that. But from all the other stuff, right? So, really, what Paul is saying is we are justified by faith, but faith has more to it than just intellectual belief. Faith is, is, a, is a lived out faith, and Paul would agree with that. In Ephesians 2.8, he says something very similar. Let's read, read this together. Sure, it says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works. Okay, seems consistent with Paul, so that no one can boast. Very consistent for Paul. And then he says in verse 10, same thought, right? This is not a different passage. This is the same thought. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do what? Good works. So he's talking works of the law versus works of love, works of compassion, works of um, extending Jesus' grace and obeying Christ. He says, which God prepared in advance for us to do. 
Is this clear? Am I being clear? So, so really when you step back and you look at the context of not just the, that the passages are in, you look at the context of what the Apostle Paul is writing into, they're not saying different things at all. They're saying the same things, they're addressing different issues. James is addressing this idea, this heresy, that all I need to do is think the right things and say the right words, and somehow that makes me a Christian. Paul's addressing the, the other end of the pendulum, right? You can't work your way. You, you don't have to do all these religious gyrations to follow Jesus. Make sense? All right, good. So, verse 18, James, we're back in James. It says, he goes on, he says, but someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. He says, show me your faith without deeds, and I'll show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God, good, even the demons believe that, and shudder. So basically, what James is saying here is what you know doesn't make you a Christian. Now, this is super challenging because I think there are a lot of Christians in America today that think if they believe the right things about Jesus, they're good to go. You know, this is, this, is, this is why this has gone on for 2,000 years, right? Because this is a human nature. What he's saying is what you know doesn't make you a Christian. Surrendering your life to Jesus and living like you have surrendered your life to Jesus is what makes you a Christian. That's faith. Faith is not defined by intellectual belief. It's defined by trusting God enough to do what he said. We experience his love, his grace, and then we turn around and we give that love and grace away, and we obey him as best we can in the process. That's faith. Now, is knowledge unimportant? Is proper theology not necessary? No, they're, they're very important. That's why we teach the Bible every week here. That's so why we encourage you to be in a life group and get these, get these teachings into your, to your heart so that you can live them out. Proper theology is good and important, but it's not enough. It's not enough. And he says, look, if you, you believe that Jesus was the Son of God, that he came to earth, that he died on the cross for your sins, that he rose from the dead, he's like, you know, there are demons who watched that whole thing happen. They believe that. And they shudder in fear because they haven't surrendered to Jesus. They haven't chosen to follow him and make him their Lord. They shudder in fear. Jesus, what James is saying is, like, if you believe all the right things, but you're not living it out, you've got demon faith. Right? And if you don't have fear, you don't even have faith at the level of a demon yet. He goes on, you foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the Scripture was fulfilled and says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. 
you see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. I think I would, if I were translating, I would say not by belief alone, but by, by trusting God enough to do what he said. All right, so Abraham, we finished Genesis, what, nine weeks ago? So we, we've studied Abraham in the, in the recent past. Abraham, if you're, if you're new or you're not familiar, was a, a pagan worshiper living out in the desert somewhere in Iraq, modern-day Iraq, not going anywhere, didn't really have a future ahead of him because he didn't have any children. His wife was barren, and, you know, it was all about legacy back then. And, and so God shows up and establishes a friendship with Abraham. And he says, look, I, I want you to leave where you are, pick up your tents and, and your family, and I want you to go to a place that I will show you. He didn't even give him the map ahead of time. He said, I'll, I'll show you. You trust me enough to start moving. I'll get you there. And Abraham did it. Abraham trusted God enough to do what he said. Eventually... Abraham and his wife, Sarah, have a son, Isaac. He's the, he is the promise that God had made to him. It was through Isaac that, that this nation that God promised he would bring forth from them was going to come through Isaac. He was the promise. He was the plan. He was the, 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 the apple of um, Abraham's eye. He loved this kid. He was his hope. And God shows up one day and says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take him to this mountain. I want you to build an altar. And I want you to sacrifice Isaac to me. I want you to put him on the altar. This doesn't make any sense. This is crazy. But Abraham trusts God enough to do what he says. Even though he is the promise, he is the hope, he is all of these things. And I don't understand, God, at all what you're asking me to do or how you're going to make it right. But I trust that you will make it right because you've always made it right. I will do what you've asked me to do. And he goes in faith and he builds an altar. He puts his son on the altar. And at the last minute, God stops him provides a substitutionary sacrifice, a ram that they end up sacrificing. And God was just like, I just needed to know that you had faith. That's big faith. That's like legendary faith, like we read about it two, thousands and thousands of years later kind of faith, right? It's pretty cool. Well, it's pretty crazy, actually. I mean, that was a crazy thing to ask. But, you know, if you think about it, God asks us to put crazy things on the altar as well, doesn't he? To trust him enough to do what he says. To trust him enough to live counter to the culture that we live in. You know, we live in a hyper-sexualized environment. Everywhere you look, your phone, your computer, your television. I'm so mad at Netflix right now. Everything they produce, almost everything they produce is TVMA, and I won't watch it. Right? But there was this one show, right? Anybody, uh, Kiefer Sutherland fans? 24, remember 24 back in the old days? I think there were still dinosaurs back when that was on. Anyway, lo love it. So they came out with this, this uh, mini series called, or series called Designated Survivor. And I'm like, oh, I really want to watch that. So I looked up on the, you know, the, the, the reviews to see, you know, what, why is it TVMA? 
And so it was like there's no sexual content, a little bit in the third season, but the first season's really good. It's, you know, it's, it's violent. There's like the explosion, people die. I can handle that. I'm good with that. So um, <laughs> I'm not really good with people dying, but you know what I'm saying. So first season's phenomenal. I mean, I'm like, this is awesome. Second season turns into like a a daytime soap opera kind of thing. It's not all that good, not well written, but I'm kind of hooked and so I'm watching. Get into the third season and like right out of the blocks, it's F-bombs and, and foul language everywhere. And then it's just like extended sex scene after extended sex scene. I made it through, well, I didn't make it through any. I fast forward, right? Because I don't watch that garbage. So I, I fast forward through, fast forward through another one, fast forward through another one. I'm like, I'm done. It's not that good anyway anymore. They're not, their writers suck. Anyway, first season was fantastic. And, um, right, we live in a hypersexualized world. Everything that's thrown at us is designed to make us lust. God says, I want you to put your sexuality on the altar. I want you to put your sexuality on the altar. I want you to not look at things that make you lust. If you're married, I want you to put your sexuality on the altar. You are to stay faithful to your spouse. That is where I have designed the gift of sex to be exercised. I know there's opportunities everywhere. No, put it on the altar. If you're single, I want you to put your sexuality on the altar. Stay pure in the mind, in your heart, and in your body. Pursue chastity until you're married, if you ever get married. But pursue purity, modesty. It's countercultural. Put it on the altar. If you wrestle with same-sex attraction, he says, I want you to put your sexuality on the altar. That's not your identity. That's not who you are. There are more important things in this life than sex, even though our culture would say otherwise. Trust me enough to do what I say. What I say. And like everything else, like Abraham, there is blessing. There is blessing and there is protection in that. But you have to trust him enough to do what he says. We live in a materialistic world, right? Everything is about getting more. We, hit, we get hit with 10,000 messages a day that say, you need more, you need more, you need more, you need more, you need this, you need more money, you need more stuff, all of it. God says, I want you to put your stuff on the altar, to recognize that it's mine and not yours. You're taking care of it for me. I want you to put your money where your mouth is. Be generous. Live open-handed. Live differently than the world around you. And in a world like ours, that's a crazy ask. Put it on the altar. We live in a world that is narcissistic. It's all about me. And we want everybody to see me. Look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me. No one. I mean, we, we put it all, we'll put it all online, you know, look how great a cook I am. Look how cool my kids are. Look at the wonderful vacation I've been on. Look where I went out to eat. Look, 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 look. Me, 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 me. God says, put yourself on the altar. This isn't about you. You want to be great? 
go to the end of the line and push the people who are currently behind you up. Platform them. Make yourself a slave that others can be great around you. Put yourself on the altar. It's not about you. Consider others better than yourself. Be humble, he says. God asked Abraham to do something that's unimaginable, and he did it, and we're talking about him thousands and thousands and thousands of years later. Now, I know what you're thinking. That was Abraham. You know, 60% of the world's population can either trace their spiritual or their genetic roots back to Abraham. He's kind of legendary. He's, he may, may be a once-in-the-history-of-the-world kind of guy, and his faith got real not when he believed in God intellectually, but when he trusted God enough to do what he said. But either way, I'm not Abraham. And I think James kind of saw that coming. He used Abraham as the great example, but then he comes back around in verse 25, and he includes the rest of us in this. He says, in the same way was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. Now, my guess is you're probably somewhere between Abraham and Rahab the prostitute. I think this covers all of us. Now, if you don't know the story of Rahab the prostitute, the children of Israel, after 40 years wandering in the desert, after being set free from slavery in Egypt, were heading into the promised land, and the first city they came to was a town called Jericho. And they sent some spies into the city to spy things out before they tried to siege the city, which that's a whole other story. We'll have to do a, a series through Joshua. That'll be fun. Anyway, um, so these spies are in town. The authorities find out. They start a manhunt for these spies, and they hide out at Rahab's house, Rahab the prostitute. So we don't even know if this is her house or if this is her brothel. Either way, the spies are hiding. Rahab's hiding them. She says to them, I know of your God, the one true God. And because I know of your God, the one true God, I'm going to hide you. I'm going to sneak you out of the city. And James is saying, and because of that, because she believed and she did something with what she believed, it was credited to her as righteousness. That covers all of us. And then, and then he lands in verse 26 with, with a thud. He says, as the body without the spirit is dead. Anybody ever been to a funeral? You know, open casket funeral, you walk up to the body. It's a little weird. You know, I mean, it's comforting because it's, you know, it's kind of looks like the person when they were alive and you get to say goodbye and all that. But there is no life in that body. It is a different thing. A body is just a body. It will decay and decompose. It's already started doing that as you're there at the coffin. Don't think about that. But it's dead. He says, so faith without deeds is dead. Faith not lived out is like a body without a spirit in it. It's dead. It's going to begin to decay 
and stink. C.S. Lewis is famous for saying, we don't have a soul, we are a soul. We don't have a soul, we are a soul. We just happen to have a body. And when the soul is not in the body, that body is dead. And so our faith is not lived out. So as I said, James is addressing an overcorrection. He's addressing this, this overcorrection of, I don't have to do anything, I just have to believe the right things about God, and I'm good, I'm in. And James would agree with, yeah, no, we don't have to, no longer have to make sacrifices. We no longer have to jump through all the religious hoops. We no longer have to be circumcised. He would agree with the Apostle Paul in, in Galatians 5.1 where Paul says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and don't let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. There were, this was where the, what Paul called the Judaizers, these Jewish people who said you have to be Jewish before you can be Christian, came in and said, that's great that you've accepted Jesus, but you all need to get circumcised. And all the men left the church, right? Because they were like, I'm out, you know, <laughs> I'm going to be out. I mean, Anyway, and he's like, that is, don't let them put the law back on you. That's what, what Paul was saying. James agrees, and he's addressing the overcorrection in the other direction. They, they, bought, they bought this falsehood that, and ran to the extreme that belief in Jesus was all that was necessary. Obedience. No. Faith expressing itself through love? No. Just believe the right things. Now, James, I think, so we, we looked a little bit at, at what James said. We looked a little bit at what Paul said. But what did Jesus say about this? Because, I mean, Jesus is the authority. I think James is just reiterating, reiterating what his big brother has already said. So in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Jesus presents what is called the Sermon on the Mount. And this is the greatest teaching ever to fall from the lips of a person in the history of the world. And at the end of it, this is Jesus' teaching, at the end of it, in Matthew 7, 21, Jesus says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. In other words, not everybody who acknowledges who I am, who has the right thinking and even verbally proclaims that I am the Lord, will not everyone is going to enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who underlines the, underline this does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew, knew you away from me, you evildoers. So Jesus is saying, look, intellectual belief is not enough. Verbal proclamation is not enough. You can even go around and use my name to perform miracles and deliverances and everything else. But if you're not obeying me, if you're not doing what I have taught you to do, I've never known you. 
as your pastor, this scares the crap out of me. Because someday you're going to stand before God and you're going to throw me under the bus. <laughs> and you're going to say, Pastor Chris said all we had to do was say that prayer and ask Jesus into my heart. Or all I had to do was check a box on the connect card and, and I was in. Got my ticket to heaven. I got my connect card. <laughs> Don't throw me under the bus. Guys, this is why we teach the whole Bible, not just the parts we like. Jesus was clear. Faith is so much more than just what we know in our heads or even say with our mouths. Those parts are important, but that's not the whole picture. He goes on in verse 24, he says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, I want you to underline, hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Jesus is saying, someday you're going to stand before my Father. And if you have followed me, if you have lived to the best of your ability, and nobody's going to get this perfect, so let's just be clear about that. This is not about perfection. This is about seeking to live with Jesus in charge of your life and doing your best to believe him enough to do what he says in every area of your life. You're, you're going to stand. You're going to stand. But he says, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the storms rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. We can say, Lord, Lord, didn't I sing the songs? Didn't I go to church? Didn't I pray the prayer? Didn't I check the box on the connect card? I never knew you. You didn't live out my teaching. You didn't live out the royal law that I gave you of loving your neighbor as yourself and loving one another in practical ways, not just with warm fuzzies in your heart. You didn't obey me. It's a hard teaching, isn't it? But you know what? I think the world looks on at, at Christians who don't live out what they actually believe and goes, why would I ever want to do that? There's no power in it. There's no freedom in it. There's no life in it. Oh, it might make you feel better for a couple hours on Sunday morning, but it's not really accomplishing much. And by the way, Anybody with eyes to see can see you're a hypocrite. Why would you want to live that way? Here's where the rubber meets the road. Some of us come on Sunday for whatever reasons we come. We hear the word, then we leave, and we go out and we live our life. We're in charge. We might say, Lord, Lord, on Sunday morning, but the rest of the week, six days of the week, we're the Lord of our life. We're not living it out, and the founda your foundation is on the sand. It's not real faith, not at least as Jesus defines it. Jesus said in John 14, 15, 
If you love me, you will keep my commands. What are the two most important things we can do? Love God, love other people. You can't say Jesus is Lord and not live like He is. You can't say I love God and not obey His teaching. Now, there are others of us who actually strive to follow God. You know, you have rearranged your life around Him and His teaching. Way to go. You're living like He is Lord. And when you stand before your heavenly Father, you, you will stand. You know, faith is so much more than belief. Belief's part of it, but it is surrendering of self. It's saying, God, you're God, and I'm not. You're in charge. I yield to you. You get to make the calls for my life. You get to say what's right and wrong. You get to guide and direct me. You get the steering wheel of my life. That's faith. That's the faith that saves us. And it's also the faith that changes us. Because when you are engaged in that kind of relationship with God, when you are seeking to follow Him, He changes you from the inside out. And all of a sudden, you have eyes to see those good deeds that He's prepared in advance for you to do. You have the courage to step out and do something about it. That faith changes us. And the manifestation of that kind of faith is good deeds, is love, is grace, is compassion. It is living a distinctively different and a distinctively awesome life that the world looks on and goes, now that I want. <laughs> and it manifests in acts of compassion and love, and it manifests in a heart that desires to obey and pursue Christ. And again, it's not about perfection. Guys, we're all going to mess up this side of heaven. We're all going to have a bad day. We're all going to need to come back to Christ and go, you know what, I blew it today, or I blew it in this situation, and I need your forgiveness again. We live by grace because we are human and we are broken. And so you will never be perfect, but are you following? Have you decided to surrender because a strictly intellectual faith is a dead faith. So don't fall for the lie that all you have to do is believe the right things about Jesus and call him by the right title. That Christianity is nowhere in the Bible. Nowhere in the Bible did Jesus say, if, you know, if you just, you know, believe in me, believe in me, believe in me. He didn't do that. He didn't say, Hey, if you just check off that box on the Connect card, you're good. I can't find that anywhere in the Gospels. Nowhere did he say, if you just pray a prayer, and there's nothing wrong with praying a prayer, and there's nothing wrong with checking the Connect card. So please don't hear me saying that. We starts with a prayer. But nowhere does he say, if you just say the prayer and ask me into your heart, you're good to go. But you know what he says over and over and over and over and over and over and over again in the Gospels? 
He says, follow me, follow me, follow me, follow me. And when a Jewish rabbi says, follow me, he's saying, come, become like me. Come, take my teaching upon you and live my teaching out and become like me and then turn around and teach others to do the same. That's what Jesus invites us to. And if it's just up here, it's like a body without a spirit in it. It's dead. All right. I've got two points for this message, and I know you're all thinking, we're just getting to the points. This is going to go on forever. We're almost done, I promise. All right, so they're just at the end here. And the first point is this. Well, actually, before I get to the point, let me say this. This is a challenging, it's a challenging topic, and it is also not super simple, right? I mean, there are layers to this. There are Scripture to unpack. There are things that we have to wrestle with in this, in this passage. And you know what Jesus did to get people to, to, uh, to grow in their faith, to, to internalize what he was teaching? He put them in groups. He had 12 guys called the disciples. And he transformed their lives in the context of that group as they wrestled with what he, I don't know what this, how many times did they say, I don't understand what he was talking about. And they talked it through and they wrestled it through together and it transformed them over the course of a couple years. And as Mike said during the, the hosting part of the service, if you're not in a group, get in a group. We've got all kinds of groups. You need to wrestle this through with people. We don't grow in isolation. We grow in groups. So get in a group. All right, point one. Are you ready? If you're a real Christian, or you are, you, ah, you're a real Christian if you obey Jesus and love people. You're a real Christian if you obey Jesus and love people. Now, you remember that pendulum thing I talked about? The other side of this, where the pendulum swings in the wrong direction, is we think, well, if I can do enough good deeds, I can get into heaven. Guys, you cannot walk enough old ladies across the street to get into heaven. You can't give away enough money, you can't cook enough food, you can't do enough of any good thing or any series of good things to get into heaven. It is Jesus Christ crucified and risen from the dead that paid for your sin that gets you into heaven. All right, let's be 100% clear on that, and it is our faith in him, our believing in him enough to do what he says, which brings me to point number two. We don't do good things to get saved. We do them because we are saved, because that is Christ in us. That is his spirit working in us, and it is because he's what he's commanded us to do. It is obedience. And I think the problem for so much of the church in our country today is that we have bought the lie that faith is believing the right things. And so we claim one thing, and we're living something different, and the world looks on and goes, hypocrites. And I don't know all of you as well as I would like to, but I do know that every single one of us does not want to be a hypocrite. 
Nobody wants to be a hypocrite. Intellectual faith alone is demon faith. Intellectual belief alone does not save us. Saving faith is trusting God enough to do what He says. Asking Jesus into our life, yes, and then following Him. And I want to invite you to do that today. And there are some of us, you've been a church people for a long time. But this is kind of a light bulb moment for you. And it is time to take another step in your walk with God. It is time to not just believe, but to follow Him. And so I'm going to ask, let's all close our eyes. And there are some of us who need to just kind of re-up with Jesus today. Like, you, you might have even been there at one point, but you have drifted and you've kind of just, I'm coming to church. I believe the right things. We'll figure it out later. You need to get right and get real with Jesus today. So wherever you are, whether you've never placed your faith in Jesus or you need to place your faith in Jesus and commit your life to him, to follow him today. Would you pray with me? Just quietly in, the, in your thoughts, he'll hear what you're saying. Just say something like this. Jesus, I'm lost without you. And I do believe, I believe you're the son of God. I believe you died on the cross. I believe you rose again. And I believe you did it to pay for my sins. And I invite you to come into my life, to live in my heart by your Holy Spirit, to transform me from the inside out. And Lord, I ask that you would adopt me into your family. And right now, I choose to not just call you Lord, but make you the Lord of my life to put you in charge. God, I won't do it perfectly, but I'm going to give it my best. And I pray that you would meet me in the midst of it and get me to where you're taking me. In your name I pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us on the Vineyard Church Podcast today. It's our greatest desire for people to find and follow God, and we hope this podcast is one way that helps you do just that. But don't stop here. We would love to see you face-to-face. God's people grow most in community, so don't forget you can join us live at the Capitol Theater in downtown Wheeling every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. If you'd like to connect with us in the meantime, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. You can catch up on previous messages and series, request prayer, and even download additional content. Thanks again for joining us this week. We'll see you next time.